It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We have horrific breaking news today out of Florida, where a massive radiation leak has resulted in a local man being burned nearly beyond recognition. Uh, uh, no, guys, uh, my production staff has made a, a mistake. That's not a radiation victim. That's Florida gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist. That's, that's just the way he looks. Uh, sorry, moving on. A controversy has arisen regarding a well-known public figure using blackface. Again, how does this happen in 2022? It's just an amazing... No, guys, that no, that's just Charlie Crist again. No, come on, this is not... This is not funny. Come on. Uh, all right. Uh, Stu does American. Uh, Stu does America's uh, can exclusively report that President Joe Biden has been engaged in an interracial affair behind the first lady's back. Here's the proof obtained by a photographer. <laughs> no, it's, that's just that's just Biden and Charlie Chris, guys. I, I don't know why you're not picking this up. Uh, anyway, we'll have more on this self-aware strip of human shoe leather in just a minute. Stay tuned and stay out of the sun. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Stu to save yourself 10 bucks. If you're watching this video on YouTube, like it. Just click like. That's the least you can do. I mean, if you, if you are worried about the future of Charlie Crist's health, you will click like right now. Jason Whitlock is going to join us today with the latest on a story he has been covering better than anyone else in the country. If you don't know it, you're really going to hear this segment. Uh, also, aliens may be coming. Will they save us from Joe Biden? Maybe our only hope. But we start by doing the GOP's midterm challenge. Let's get into kind of start off here before we get into the Senate with some of the primaries going on today. We have Florida and New York in Florida, as we mentioned, Charlie Crist again is running. This man does nothing but run for office. That's it. A uh, new poll is showing him going to win today uh, on the Dem- in the Democratic primary. The new poll says uh, 59 to 30 over Agriculture Commissioner uh, Freed. Now, Freed, uh, Nikki Freed, is, is kind of like an up-and-coming Democrat, very much on the AOC wing of the party. And it's an interesting thing here, as you see Chris, who's obviously terrible, right? I mean, he's obviously terrible, just smoking the progressive candidate who is the option here. It says a lot about what the Democrats think is possible against Ron DeSantis and also what the future of the progressive wing is in Florida in particular, which seems to be inching more and more red as we go. By the way, if you don't know who Charlie Crist is, neither does he. Uh, He was when I was in Florida, he was a governor and he was a Republican from 1993 to 2010. He was a Republican. Then he wanted to win a race. I think it was against Marco Rubio, if I remember right. And he switched over to an independent. And then two years later, switched over to a Democrat, which is now what he is. He's running again for office. I think this is the second time he's run as a Democrat. He hasn't won in a long time. He does not seem to be much of a winning candidate. And let's be honest about it. This is a sacrificial lamb when it comes to Florida this year. Ron DeSantis is not going to lose Florida, I don't think, barring a miracle for the Democrats. DeSantis, if you remember, people are always like, oh, well, he's been so great in COVID. And that's one of the reasons we like him a lot. It's interesting to remember, though, that this guy had a 70 percent approval rating before COVID. 
Um, and uh, he actually has probably hurt his overall approval for being uh, becoming such a national figure. He's helped himself a lot for a potential 2024 run. But in Florida, he was like uniting everybody loved him until all of a sudden he was on MSNBC all the time. Uh, can Florida Democrats take down DeSantis is being asked by the Hill. Well, we just we just answered that. The answer to that is no. That's that's not going to happen. Rebecca Jones tried to take down DeSantis by lying and manipulating data. Uh, in my opinion, and uh, a lot of other people's opinion, too. She, of course, wanted to take this. See, it was okay because she was manipulating COVID data to scare people about Ron Death Santis. And it doesn't matter if you do things that are uh, immoral or illegal when trying to take down Ron DeSantis. So now she's going to be a congressional candidate. She is in a primary uh, today, Rebecca Jones. I don't know if she has a chance of winning it, uh, but it is amazing that this is what happens with resistance figures all around the country. Uh, New York is another really interesting one, mainly because of the redistricting thing. Florida and New York both tried really aggressive redistricting plans. In Florida, it was, as you might expect, to sort of benefit Republicans. In New York, it was to benefit Democrats. Well, the Florida one got through the courts. The, De- the New York one did not. So last second, they redrew these districts. And now a couple of uh, primetime Democrats, uh, Tuesday's primaries in New York and Florida will be both political landscapes scrambled by redistricting. You have uh, Jerry Nadler. Yeah, the guy with the high pants that we featured on this show so many times. And Carolyn Maloney, both long term kind of establishment left-wing figures that have had easy rides their entire life now have to face each other. There's also a third progressive candidate in the race. Uh, yes, even more progressive than Nadler and Maloney, which is saying something. So that's going on as well. Uh, Real Clear Politics is talking about the president's party is gaining in midterm polls. That's not normal. Now, this is a big news story right now. We're going to get into this here in a second. It's hard to know how much to read into this yet. I, my instinct is to say, not too much. And the reason for that is, and believe me, I am a guy who, you know, I, I have told you when I think Republicans are going to lose. I, I often think they're going to lose. Sometimes I almost, I think they're going to lose too much because I'm very much a pessimist and I don't think we can have nice things. So I am not afraid to, to tell you that if these polls looked really, really horrible. Some of them do. We'll get into some of them in a second. But, uh, you know, how much do you take? It's pretty early still. The Democrats have had a lot of sort of uh, uh, big news items to rally around lately, including, of course, the abortion thing. But when it comes down to uh, the actual election, I expect Republicans to have quite a bit of passion for this election. Uh, Joe Biden's done a terrible job. And Biden's approval rating isn't really bumping up. It's just some senators are outperforming him. We'll see if that holds. McConnell says the House is more likely to flip than the Senate. And he cites candidate quality. Let me give you this clip because this has been controversial mainly on the right, where people are looking at McConnell and saying, well, I don't like Mitch McConnell. What's he doing here? This is terrible. Let me show you the clip and we'll talk about it. I think the, the, there's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Uh, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Could there be anyone more boring than Mitch McConnell? I mean, honestly, if you mated two versions of the word boring and they had sex and they had a child and the child grew up to be very old, it would be Mitch McConnell. He is not electric, I will say. That being said, you know, people are attacking him on this because 
Number one, they just don't like Mitch McConnell, which is a very understandable instinct. Number two, that Mitch McConnell is, I don't know, talking down the election and making excuses. And I can understand that because he's sort of a public messenger when it comes uh, to uh, the Republican Party, particularly in the Senate. But here's the thing. Everything he's saying there is absolutely true. Uh, It is much more likely that the House is going to flip than the Senate this time. We've talked to you about this. We've done this segment together before where we look at the Senate and we're going to do that again here in a minute to kind of give you an an outlook as to where the Senate stands as of this moment. But the House is much more political vibes. the, The House is sort of like, what's the political vibe of the moment right now? And as usually is the case, the opposition party gets the good vibes. They tend to take the climate of the election and are able to turn that into a a win in the House or a major gain in the House. Now, there's a couple things that are different from this election from from, from previous uh, times when we've had big wave elections. Number one, the Democrats don't have control by much. They have, you know, back in 2010 was the biggest wave election in the last century. People talk about it with the, the, um, the Tea Party and, and all that went on. But part of the success there was because the Democrats had a huge lead in 2008 after that 2008 election. And Republicans came back and, yes, took the House and they took a ton of seats. But there was a lot to get. There was a lot of lower hanging fruit. This time, Democrats lost a lot of those seats already. They didn't do all that well back in 2020. They just squeaked out control. And because of that, you know, you're not going to see the huge numbers that you saw back in 2010, but you could still see, I think, you know, most likely you're going to see the House flip over to the Republicans. We'll see how this develops in the current um, in, in the next couple of months. The Senate is a different animal. You know, in the House, every single seat is up for election every two years. So it's always the vibes it's up, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. It can be crazy. You also have redistricting here, which will change things. We don't know how that's going to break yet. All that kind of plays into this idea that the vibes are there. The vibes are going to control what happens in the House. Right now, the vibes are with the Republican Party. And also, traditionally, any president loses seats in the midterm. It hasn't happened in a couple of midterms, but generally speaking, that's the way this goes. So, Now we move on. We talk about the Senate. The Senate is a totally different story because you don't start at zero to zero. You you have a starting score and then you have a bunch of seats that are being defended by both parties. And your one side is trying to pick up the other side. One side is trying to defend those seats. And so the structure of a Senate election is much, much more important than in the House. The, The structure is king in the Senate and the structure and this is just random, this isn't some big conspiracy, but every couple of years it switches, and this year it's favoring Democrats. So Republicans have an uphill battle in the Senate from the beginning. Now, I tell you this because I hope that you will remember it uh, here in a couple of years, but this will switch to a a uh, Republican-leaning playing field in 2024. And that's why the Senate is so important, because if Republicans could somehow do a good job here, and I know this is a reach, if they could somehow do a good job in 2022 and win a bunch of seats and take control by a decent margin, let's say 54 seats, something like that, that would be hard, but it's possible. If they could do that, they have a chance at a filibuster-proof majority with a Republican president and a Republican House and a Republican Senate in 2024. 
It won't be easy. The Republicans will almost definitely screw it up. But it is actually on the it's in the outcome of possibilities here. And that's not something the Republicans have ever had in my lifetime. That would be a big freaking deal. So can you imagine, you know, whether you want Donald Trump, you want Ron DeSantis, uh, maybe you want Charlie Crist to switch back to Republican and become president. Whoever you happen to want. Can you imagine that person with a filibuster proof majority? And all the stuff that you could do with that sort of a majority, you could change the country. Really, you could. I mean, we saw what Barack Obama did with it. He only had it for a few months and he got Obamacare through. Can you imagine what Republicans could theoretically do? Although they'd probably screw that up, too, to be fair. So let's start with a starting point of the Senate election. Where do we start from? Again, it's not zero, zero. We've got a score on the board. These are people who are not up for election. And right off the bat, the Democrats take the lead. They have a 34 to 30 lead as we start this game. And uh, you know, again, it's a tilted playing field toward Republicans. Now, there's a bunch of seats that really aren't all that competitive. It's going to be easy for Republicans to win some of these. It's going to be easy for Democrats. These are safe seats. And let me show you these. These safe seats uh, in the Senate. You've got about nine of them on the Democratic side. And you've got about 13 of them on the Republican side. Now, this is going to help, obviously, Republicans close the gap quite a bit. In fact, it closes all the way to a tie, 43 to 43. That's where they are now. But these seats that would normally be nice, big seats for Republicans are spent essentially just catching up to Democrats because of the way the field is this particular session. Okay, now we go on to likely seats. These are probably going to go one way or the other. It's not guaranteed in a wave election some of these seats might be on the table for Republicans to try to take. It does not seem like we're there right now. Uh, so these are likely Democratic seats, and there's only a couple of them, three. I have Connecticut, uh, Washington, and Colorado in there for Democrats. That gives them a plus three. On the Republican side, well, I see plus three, but I only see two states. So somehow I screwed this up when I sent it in. But anyway, Alaska and Missouri, likely Republicans. That's a plus three. That gives you a 46-45. I guess it should have been plus two. I don't know. Okay. Math is hard, boys and girls. Okay, so uh, now the leaners. Now, these are very gettable for either side. Leaner seats are, you, you're going to look at these and you're going to say, okay, this side should be favored. But if the climate changes or if there's a controversy, could easily switch. If you see something in the leaning side, the opposite party should still be targeting it and trying to pick it up. Same thing for the Republicans, same thing for the Democrats. So here's some leaners. We've got three in each column here. Uh, Democrats leaning in Pennsylvania, Arizona and New Hampshire. A lot of these polls are close. The New Hampshire polls are surprisingly close right now. Maggie Hassan trying to be elected for the Democrats. But since she's got the uh, edge of being an incumbent in a state that kind of leans a little blue still, although it's still kind of purplish. On the Republican side, Florida, Ohio and Wisconsin. Florida, I put I would like to put Florida in the likely category. I don't think there's much of a chance of Marco Rubio losing that race. I'm just kind of reflecting the polling situation right now, which in some polls, is actually showing Rubio behind. I don't buy that. I think this is more of a likely Florida, a likely Republican, but just taking the data into account. Ohio is very close. J.D. Vance, I think, will pull that out. And in Wisconsin, the polling actually is showing Ron Johnson behind there in a lot of, in a lot of the polls. But a couple things there. He's the incumbent uh, candidate there. 
and that gives you a nice advantage in a lot of these polls. Plus, the polling has missed so badly in Wisconsin for two consecutive cycles. At this point, I think it's a real thing. I, I, I'm kind of pricing that in, and so I have Wisconsin in the lean Republican for now. This brings us to 49 for the Democrats, 48 for the Republicans. And this is the thing. Uh, you can see why Mitch McConnell is scared. Now, could the, Demo- could the Republicans go over there and pick up? Could Dr. Oz win? Maybe. Maybe he could. Can Blake Masters win in Arizona? I think it's definitely possible. Uh, c- could Maggie Hassan lose in New Hampshire? It's certainly possible. The polls are showing it's very possible. Um, and in a, in a Republican wave type of election, definitely something that could happen. So maybe the Republicans, if they could just pick up those leaners, they'd have enough to have the majority but they could also lose some of their leaners. And this also leaves three seats left that we have kind of in pure toss-up range right now. Uh, number one is Georgia. Georgia, of course, Herschel Walker going up against Raphael Warnock. Right now, the polls have a slight lead for Warnock. He's the incumbent, though he's only been there for you know, what a, you know, a year, a couple of years, I guess, by the time this goes on. I don't know how much that means. I will also say, uh, you know, Walker has closed the gap a little bit here. Uh, And it is still a slightly red leaning state. You're going to have a very, uh, I think, a a very easy win at governor where Stacey Abrams will lose and then claim that she won again. So you think maybe Herschel Walker can get pulled across the finish line there. He seems to be improving as a candidate. You know, this guy's never done this before. So we will see on that one. Another toss up race, North Carolina. This one, uh, Bud is uh, basically they're basically tied in the polls right now in North Carolina. This is an open seat and could go either way. Again, Republicans could easily win that race. That's a very winnable race for them. Donald Trump won North Carolina in a very close race back in 2020. The type of thing that in a Republican year should be a Republican seat. We will see. Third one, Nevada. This is interesting. A Democratic incumbent um, uh, uh, and going up against uh, Laxalt, who has done pretty well in the polls so far. Cortez Mastro is is the, I can't, I can barely even remember. I can picture her face, can't really picture her name. Uh, She is running to be reelected, not particularly popular, not really distinguished herself as she's been a senator. I mean, I barely can remember her name. That tells you how how important she's been. That's another race. So let me look at those toss-ups again. You get Georgia, North Carolina, and Nevada. Those three, and, you know, you'd say, okay, well, Republicans could win Any one of those. Right. Well, the problem is they need to win all three of them under this scenario. Republicans would need to sweep these three toss up states to get to 51 and control the Senate. So really what Mitch McConnell said is it's really kind of the the state of affairs right now might be uh, it's not an optimistic take. I think if you were talking to a Republican PR person, they would say, no, everything's great and we can win all those races. And they can. And like, you know, you go back here and you say if the Republicans can win the toss up races, uh, Georgia, North Carolina and Nevada, and they can win the leaner races, you know, or maybe win two of the three, you're at 53, 54 seats. That gets you to a place where not only do you have enough to deal with the Susan Collins flaking away on some bill or, uh, you know, uh, Mitt Romney doing something annoying, you could survive that for sure. 
And then in addition to that, you really have a path to a filibuster-proof majority in 2024, something that could change all these issues that we talk about every day could make a real impact for a long time. You want to talk about energy independence. You want to talk about government spending. You want to talk about uh, CRT and uh, all the crazy stuff going on with gender in the country. All that stuff could be really, really affected by a filibuster-proof majority for the Republicans. That's looking ahead. That's maybe uh, looking past our next opponent, looking to the next one. You don't want to do that in sports. You probably shouldn't do it in politics either. But this is a situation where Republicans should be optimistic that they can do this. The polls are sort of fading away right now. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think a lot of this is going to tighten up. You know, a race like um, uh, Dr. Oz, for example, in Pennsylvania, where some of the polls are showing him down by 16 points. I do not think that's how that race is going to end, even though I don't think Dr. Oz is the greatest candidate in the world. That's going to tighten up. A lot of this is going to tighten up. And if the Republicans can pull off some of these races and not screw things up, they could take over the House and the Senate. That can block big, important nominees that, the, that Biden's going to throw to toss in there through the courts. It's going to make a big difference. We will see if uh, they can actually pull this off. We'll try to give you these updates uh, more frequently as we get closer uh, to the election. Uh, in a minute, I want to I want to take a break. And in a minute, I want to talk to Jason Whitlock. He has been covering a story from in Texas that the mainstream media is basically ignoring. But it is a fascinating story. And he's been the only one really nationally covering it. We'll talk to Jason Whitlock next. You might be thinking, I can't live in a state where John Fetterman is the senator. And that's a totally understandable instinct. So if you're in Pennsylvania and you're thinking, okay, Dr. Oz might lose, you might be starting to look for a new home, maybe in Texas, maybe in Florida, maybe in Arizona, maybe somewhere mildly sane. If you found one of those places, you're going to need a real estate agent when you get there. And look, you're moving to a new area. You don't know anybody there, right? You don't have any connections per se you need to go to realestateagentsitrust.com. The same way, as you're selling your home, you may have dealt with a real estate agent before, and maybe you're thinking, eh, it wasn't the greatest experience, but that's who I know. I'll just go back to them. I wouldn't advise that. I would say, hey, this is your biggest financial transaction. Take it seriously. Get somebody who's screened, somebody who has already shown great results uh, with their practice at realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a place you can go, provide them with some basic info. The team will contact you to make an introduction to their preferred agent in your town. Don't miss out. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. So Saturday night, uh, I was on the field uh, with my son at his flag football practice. Kids having a blast. It was a great time. And about... A half an hour south of us, there was another uh, peewee football game going on, except that one ended in a murder. This is an incredible story, and nobody has been covering it in the mainstream media. The only reason I think we know anything about this story at all is because of Jason Whitlock. He, of course, is with The Blaze, the host of the wildly popular Fearless with Jason Whitlock right here on Blaze TV. Make sure to check it out. Jason, how's it going? Great, Stu. Thanks for having me on. Oh, really appreciate it. I mean, your coverage of this story has been incredible. Uh, you've been seemingly the only one interested in it in America, at least when it comes to big media personalities. Can you kind of walk us through what the hell happened at this field? Well, uh, based off of my conversations with members of the coaching staff of my Hickman squad, uh, they were winning a scrimmage. 
against uh, the team sponsored and coached by Akib Tlaib, the former NFL player. His brother, I think, was the coach or runs that team, uh, Yaqib Tlaib. Uh, and so the opposing team is winning. Uh, I think they're called the, the Dragons, I think was their nickname. They were winning. And uh, Akib Tlaib got very upset about an officiating call, an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty called on his team. He walked across the field to argue and bicker with the refs in the middle of the game, in the middle of the scrimmage. And <clears throat> the refs felt like they lost control of the game. And so they called the game off because the key was making threats and, and whatnot. And so Mike Hickman, who was a coach on the opposing team, was running the yardstick at the time the game is called. Mike Hickman's son was the quarterback on this nine-year-old and under football team and his football was left out on the field. He tried to retrieve it. A parent or someone else on the other team had the ball, ended up kicking the ball away from Mike Hickman into a crowd of Akib Tlaib and these other coaches from the other team. Akib Tlaib, according to the witnesses, uh, Mike Hickman's assistant coaches or peers he worked with, Akeem Tlaib took a swing at Mike Hickman. An argument ensued. Mike Hickman, holding the yard marker, took a swing at Akeem Tlaib. Then five or six coaches, Mike Hickman is surrounded, 43-year-old, former North Texas football player. He's surrounded by five or six coaches from the opposing team, including Akeem Tlaib's wife. They're all trying to jump on him. He drops the yard marker, falls to the ground, starts the process of getting back up, gets to his feet. He's completely empty-handed, and that's when you can see on video a man that has been identified as Yaqib Tlaib, Aqib Tlaib's older brother, pulls out a gun and fires five, six shots. Two or three of these shots hit Mike Hickman and kill him uh, on the spot in front of his son. His wife is there videotaping the game, taking pictures of the game in front of all these kids. And then Aqib Tlaib and his brother then run off uh, and Yaqib hides from the police for maybe 24 hours and eventually turns himself in. But according to Mike Hickman's peers, uh, Aqib Tlaib, the former NFL star, five-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos, broadcaster for Fox Sports and uh, Amazon's Thursday night football coverage. He sparked the confrontation that led to the murder of Mike Hickman. This is an incredible story. A guy who's very well known if you're an NFL fan. Uh, you know, it's just impossible to think about a, a peewee football game and a, a flag in a scrimmage game, not even a real game, uh, could lead to something like this. Mike Hickman, as you mentioned, was a former player uh, at North Texas. But this guy was a community figure. He was a guy who stood out for being a good guy, for helping uh, kids in the community. He seems to be, a, uh, you know, by all appearances, a, a really good guy, the type of person that you know, people in the community looked up to. And I have not heard one call from the media to remember his name. I know you mentioned this. This is, there's something wrong with our culture when we're praising uh, you know, the gangster culture 
and were not here for the defense of this guy who seemingly was nothing but a community figure of, of real reputation. Unfortunately, Stu, what happened to Mike Hickman is commonplace in black communities. Black men settling disputes, disagreements with each other, with gun violence. The culture has accepted it, and so we have no reaction. We know for a fact that if this were a white man that had killed Mike Hickman, the protests, the rallies, the Al Sharptons, uh, the, the Michael Eric Dysons, the Jamel Hills, the Joy Reeds, everybody would say this is this is what we're talking about when it comes to the racism that's impacting and destroying black people. But the reality is uh, black men have a much harder time getting along with each other than they actually do getting along with the police. And so all these NFL players and social justice warriors that are always, hey, we got to sponsor meetings between the community and the police department so that they can all get along and better understand each other. And so we never have police brutality. You never hear them say, hey, uh, let's have a community meeting where the black men in this community get together and have a conversation about how we can get along without settling our disputes with gun violence. The other thing you won't hear anybody talk about him just because Aqib Tlaib made $70 million. He's a part of the uh, NFL broadcasting community. He's a protected elite. And no one wants to talk about his checkered history as a college player, as an NFL player. There's all kinds of video of on-field disputes of, between he and Michael Crabtree, between he and a Tennessee Titans receiver. Where this is the behavior that's been described of his at this PWE football game mirrors the behavior we saw from him as a college and professional football player. No one is surprised that he's in the middle of an incident like this that led to this type of violence. He portrayed himself as a thug uh, and, and sparked a confrontation that will probably cost his brother his freedom for the rest of his life, uh, or at least for a long period of time. And it's probably going to cost Aqib to leave his wealth, because I'm sure Mike Hickman and his family are going to sue him for uh, sparking this confrontation. Mm, it's, it really is unbelievable. Um, you cover this all week. Uh, you talked to the coaches that were on the field. I mean, you went, you went through all of this. You also got into the culture of it. I thought it was really interesting. You got a bunch of pieces on the blaze that people need to read. We'll make sure to link to them on Twitter. Um, one of the things, there's a book called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's a popular book about forming habits. And one of the points of the book is how you identify yourself is really important. If you think to yourself, hey, you know, I, not I'm going to go running, but I am a runner. I'm a person who's going to go running. You're much more likely to do something like that that's challenging and create a new good habit. You went into the, the part of the culture here uh, when it comes to how you identify yourself. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I, I talk about it all the time because Aqib Tlaib, uh, from college on, has identified, portrayed himself as a gangster. He's about that life. Uh, it's how he's portrayed himself as a professional athlete and as a college athlete. And so eventually you have to live up to that identity. And that's why on, on, on my show I'm constantly talking about, hey, look, we need to – 
make our primary identity, those of us that are believers, our identity in Christ. If I have to live up to being a Christian, that's going to provoke me, compel me to do a bunch of positive things. If my identity as any other thing, if I identify as a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or conservative, that could take me down paths where that are not healthy for me. If I identify as a gangster, that's definitely going to take me down a negative path. If, if my primary identity is that I'm black, well, that can lead a bunch of different directions based off of how you define being black and the, the way American culture defines it right now. There's a lot of negative things that go along with that, the gangster ghetto lifestyle. And, and so if, if we would submit those of us that are believers to because again, a lot of people claim to be Christians, but that's not their primary identity, their sexuality, their gender, their race, their politics, all these other things are their primary identities, and they have to live up to those things. And there, a lot of times there's a lot of negative baggage that comes along with those identities, where if, if we adopted a more positive, a more unifying identity, if, if I saw myself as a Christian, then what I'm actually going to, when I look across the field and say Mike Hickman uh, or Akeem Tlaib, I'm going to say, hey, that's an image bearer. Of, of God. That's an image bearer of Jesus Christ. That's one of my brothers. Whether he's a believer or not, but because of my Christian identity, that's how I see somebody and that's how I want to treat somebody. And so I'm not going to be quick to pull out a gun and shoot somebody if my first thought is, that's an image bearer of, of Christ. That's a Christian. That's my brother. Uh, but, but too many of us in too many different ways have chosen identities that lock us in to bad decisions, uh, and 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 it's a mistake. It's what's dividing this country. Mm. Well, the coverage has been fantastic, Jason. I know you've been doing it on Fearless as well as on the Blaze. Don't miss it. Um, and it, it's I'm only it's only partially because I hate the Patriots that I'm interested in the story. Uh, there's much much more to it than that, and it's a serious thing. I can't believe it's happening in communities right around here. Jason Whitlock, you can be sure to catch him right here on Blaze TV. Fearless with Jason Whitlock. It's a you can't miss it. You can't miss it. What are you doing? Don't miss that show. And also follow him on all the social media channels. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thank you, Stu. We were just talking to Jason Whitlock, and I was listening to his coverage of that, that story of the terrible murder. I mean, you know, a nine-year-old kid uh, is at a game, and his dad gets shot for, for absolutely no reason, uh, and a big NFL player is involved in it. And one of the things that Jason was talking about, and he mentioned it towards the end of the interview there, was there's a culture problem. There is a, a, a real culture problem when you praise things like, you know, gangster life and this thug life is some thing to be looked up to as opposed to something that should be, you know, tossed away from society, tried to attempt, hopefully to be avoided. Um, and he mentioned that Tlaib, I think it was I think it was Akib Tlaib who had posted all this stuff about how, you know, it's not enough to just be football tough. All you people out there, players I go, you're all football tough. I'm real tough. Like, I, I live this life. The life is real to me. Um, and, you know, what, of course, I will say, now, I'm not, a, I, as I mentioned, I don't like the Patriots. So that's part of the reason why I don't like Aqib Tlaib, also that he was involved in a potential murder. Uh, but uh, also, 
who, you know who liked that, liked that post about gangster life and being tough and blah, blah, blah? LeBron James. Here's a kid that was in, he's a guy who's in Space Jam talking to your kids, right? That guy is liking that post. Now, I don't, did LeBron James really, really this guy who has been like exalted as a hero since he was like eight years old, did he really grow up in some challenging life? I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you, but I do think he's an idiot now for what it's worth. I don't know how he was raised, but he's an idiot now. That's, we do have these, uh, don't be, don't be an idiot. And then on the other side, don't be a LeBron. Yes, the don't be a LeBron.com mug is available now. You can check it out. The shirt's there as well. That's a good one. I, th- I think Jason would like this one as well. The uh, always remember before Colin Kaepernick ever took a knee, he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. Also available on studosmerch.com. Uh, check it out. Uh, don't be a LeBron and uh, the Colin Kaepernick one, which is the Colin Kaepernick one because I'm a football fan and football is just starting up again now. It's still one of my favorites. Didn't he have a tryout? Didn't we cover Colin Kaepernick having some big tryout or something? Well, he's going to be, oh, he's going to be. Wasn't the Raiders? He's going to get a job. He, finally, someone gave him a chance. And yet again, somehow he wasn't signed. Why? Why do you think? Let me give you a preview. Before he ever took a knee, he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. Back in a second. A lot is being made about this new UFO report. I don't know what to make of it, honestly. Uh, Vice has a headline. Congress admits UFOs are not man-made, says threats increasing exponentially. You can see that they have like three of all of those words in quotes. <laughs> the rest of them aren't. I think there's a reason for that. This is typical Vice coverage, basically. It seems like the, the U.S. is saying, of course, new threats are ex- expanding. We, and we don't know what they are, per se. Then it's also trying to dis, like delineate between uh, you know UFOs unidentified flying objects that are known like UFOs came out we know what they were we you've seen the footage we know that was a weather balloon or whatever they're trying to delineate between that and things that they don't have the answer on they're not necessarily saying for sure they're aliens they're just saying, if we don't know, we're going to try to delineate and have those things uh, switched out uh, so people can understand the difference between the ones we do know were man-made and the ones that we don't know what they were. So I don't know. Is it really a huge story? It's possible. I feel like these UFO stories, though, every time they come out, get a bunch of hype, and then you know they wind up not being as, as salacious as many uh, would imagine. So well, uh, if anything else breaks on it, we'll, we'll let you know. There's a new, there's a big story today from CNN. It's all over the media about a whistleblower over at Twitter who is saying there was reckless and negligent cybersecurity policies going on there, really just taking, uh, just going crazy. He was Now, this guy was fired in, I think, January, and that's the Twitter defense, basically. This guy's a disgruntled employee, and he, you know, this stuff is, and he used to work in this area. He should have been the one fixing this stuff. Uh, that They're kind of blame, putting the blame on him. I Now, I always started skepticism when it comes to whistleblowers. This is a weird thing about me. If you don't know it, now you know. Whenever I hear a whistleblower, I, I don't know. Now, look, there are some times in which whistleblowers are really, really important. Mainly when, like, there's major crimes going on and, uh, you know, uh, you got to go and tell somebody about it. But normally, like, a whistleblower, like, go and tell the authorities about it if it's a, it's a crime. 
Going to the, uh, a whistleblower that goes directly to the media always makes me crinkle my brow a little bit. You got hired by this place. They gave you money. They, you're working with people that were supposedly trusting you. And instead of uh, handling it internally or going to the authorities if there's a crime or something going on, you go to the media, you write a book. I don't know. We'll see if this one turns out to be something. I think you know, with a lawsuit going on, I'm not surprised to see this type of stuff going on because they're going to want this guy to shut up before this lawsuit goes on. Now, Elon Musk has now attempting to subpoena Jack Dorsey for key information related to his Twitter lawsuit. Some of the stuff from the whistleblower kind of indicates, too, that maybe there were a lot more bots on Twitter than, than people knew. That was the big complaint from Elon Musk. Elon Musk, you know, I kind of thought he was going to, this was just a negotiating tactic and maybe he was going to get Twitter anyway. The more and more this goes on, you wonder if that's uh, correct or not. We will see if Elon does take control. Twitter's a hellscape though. So, by the way, follow me, at Studas America. I'm great on Twitter. It's the other people that are, that are the problem. Everything I do is okay. Other people ruin it for you. That's the way this works. People like Paul Pelosi. Yes, he was already making bad, bad decisions. He married Nancy Pelosi, but it goes even farther than that. He also drove drunk and he is now getting uh, his sentence. Are you ready for the big sentence? Would this happen to you? Would you get this sentence? Five days in jail, which, by the way, is time served, I think. So I don't even think he's serving any additional time. He was uh, he had a, now he had a point oh eight two blood alcohol content. It's not exactly super high. I mean, it used that used to be legal for a very long time. Most states now have lowered it from 0.10 to 0.08. So he's at 0.082. Not the worst thing I've ever seen. But he did get in an accident, and uh, now he's going to have to pay $7,000 in fines. He's going to have three years of probation because of the DUI. I do think your penalty would probably be worse for that. But, I, I mean, I guess you could say he's at least getting something. I, I don't know. Uh, this is our justice system, boys and girls. This is how this works. And finally, a uh, new sandwich coming to the United States. Yes, it's called the uh, Chicken Big Mac. <laughs> the Chicken Big Mac. And I, when you first hear that, you're like, I don't know. Would that be good? But I will say, like, you think about the special sauce on a Big Mac. I think that probably goes better with chicken, right? That seems like more of a chicken thing than a beef thing. So I don't know. You'll have to try it and, and, and let me know. It's coming uh, to a couple restaurants as a test. Apparently very pos uh, popular overseas. So we will see if the chicken Big Mac becomes the next big thing. Back in a second. Please do something for free to support the show. We always do appreciate that. I mean, it's not costing you anything. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate and review five stars is the appropriate number of stars. You can also watch the show for free on YouTube. Uh, drop an algorithmic engagement comment below. Uh, get the algorithm robots working for the show. And, of course, make sure to subscribe and click the little bell as well. We do appreciate it. This one comes in about, I guess, yesterday's show. Jason, Jason Buttrell. Uh, is awesome and the smartest person in the room, but still, Stu is still the king. Great show. Uh, Jason is not the smartest person in any room. I mean, ever. Uh, he's a Cowboys fan. Do I need to say more than that? I don't think so. Um, uh, algorithmic engagement comment. Five freaking stars. This show is always a much wa must watch. We agree. I mean, we, that's why we do it. Um, Matthew writes, I'm with Power Hour, but... But tattoo guy, I'm not getting the VIN number of my new car tattooed on my butt. It's not going to happen. 
Plus, it's never going to show up anyway, so it will never be my new car. All right, uh, let's talk about Stu Eats America. Before we go, there's a new product out that you need to have. Yes, he was actually mentioned in one of Jason's articles about this particular, um, the murder that happened here in Texas, Snoop Dogg. Yes, he had murder charges years and years ago, but now he's a completely acceptable celebrity. Uh, And don't forget about his porn career. Yes, he hosted porns and was in porn, but now he's, he's giving your kids cereal. They're called Snoop Loops. And they don't have marshmallows. They have more marshmallows. That's apparently what's on the box. Uh, I don't. This is from Brodus Foods, which is a terrible name. His real name is Calvin Brodus. Brodus Foods sounds like a mistake. That just sounds like it sounds almost like something you'd catch from bad food. Oh, oh, I got Brodus. It's awful. Um, but you can get it. If you see it out on the shelves, send it to me so I'll, I can do a Stew Eats America segment on it. Uh, Snoop Loops coming soon to a, a place near you.